Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all. It is Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. You are tuned into Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show on True North, proudly not government-funded media. And if you don't believe me, just look over on our Twitter page. And at last check, I just want to make absolutely sure here before I go down a road that uh, there is no coming back from twitter.com slash True North Center, not government-funded media. And we are absolutely proud and thrilled to be not government-funded media. That is why we are independent media. We rely on the support of people who value the work we do and want to chip in a couple of bucks or a couple hundred dollars or far more money because they support it. And we are so grateful for that. CBC is a different animal. CBC, it doesn't matter if Canadians like it. It doesn't matter if Canadians watch it. It doesn't matter if Canadians want it. It is around because the government is artificial propping up this thing that we all have to pay about uh, 1.2, 1.3 billion dollars a year in taxpayer money for, again, irrespective of whether we like it or not. Now, some people will argue, well, this is a public broadcaster, it's important to have a public broadcaster, and I mention this just because there are various conceptions of what public broadcasting is supposed to do. And I had a bit of a discussion a couple of years back in London, England, at the Global Conference for Media Freedom with a woman who, I believe her name was Sally, and she was with, like, the International Consortium of Public Broadcasters, which uh, there's a, an entity that needs to exist, right? And I was chatting with her, and we had a civil conversation, and I said, you know, why is it that we should not just have public broadcasters doing what the private sector can't do? And there was a name for that. She says, ah, oh, yes, the gap-filling approach, but she rejected the gap-filling approach and believed, as many public broadcasters do, that uh, public broadcasters or state broadcasters need to be vibrant, they need to be loud, they need to be proud, they need to be, in some ways, competing with the private sector and be propped up by the government while they do it. So, uh, whether you like CBC or not, it is not at all controversial to say that it is a government-funded media organization. You can see the CBC for itself admit to being a government-funded media organization. There was a tweet back in 2017 that was doing the rounds of them responding to someone saying, ah, yes, hi, Michael, yes, we are government-funded. Uh, and then they caveated it by saying, that's a verb now, cave to caveat something. They applied the caveat to say that, but they also get some money from advertisers as well. All of this, if you've been following the controversy on Twitter, uh, you know is leading to Elon Musk and Twitter Inc., which I think they're now changing Twitter Inc. to something else. But uh, this organization, this company, this social media platform, putting on CBC the government-funded media label. If you look at CBC on Twitter, that's what you see there, government-funded media. Now, I could quibble a little bit about which account they've done it to. They've done it to the main CBC account, which is really more about the general primetime programming, daytime programming that CBC does, not the news channel, which is so far 
free of this label. CBC News and CBC Politics and CBC Alerts, those don't have the label. So CBC gets up in arms about this. They announce that they are, as you see here on Twitter, pausing their Twitter activities. So CBC is self-selecting out of Twitter and the rationale our journalism is impartial and independent to suggest otherwise is untrue. That's why we are pausing our activities on Twitter. And then they repeat the same thing in French because it is CBC after all. I'm amazed they didn't work in some indigenous languages and pronouns in there as well. But they do this, and then there was a bit of hand-wringing about, well, we're not entirely government-funded, we get some advertising money, and if you look at CBC's filings, you can find that they do, in fact, get somewhere in the range of 30-plus percent of their funding from non-government sources. So Elon Musk was feeling benevolent, he was feeling charitable, he decided to offer a bit of an amendment. First, he changed the label from government-funded media to 70% government-funded media. And then he said, in the interest of being generous, he would change it further. And how it sits now is, as you see on your screen, or will in a moment, uh, CBC, 69% government-funded media. So uh, be careful what you wish for, CBC. You want to assert that you only get 69 to 70% of your funding from government? Great. We will be abundantly clear and abundantly precise that you are getting 69% of your government funding. Now, it wasn't just CBC uh, that got this. Uh, RTZ in New Zealand uh, got it, or RNZ, I think it's RNZ. And in Australia, the uh, state broadcaster ABC got this as well. Last week, BBC, NPR, PBS, they all got it. They're distinct from what is applied to Russia Today or Press TV in Iran or Xinhua in China. Those are called state affiliated media. Now, state-affiliated media is different than government-funded media, and Twitter is actually making that distinction. Uh, now, some people, like uh, one of the guys who works on this show, just titters at the 69, thinking it's Elon Musk making a sex joke. But no, that is actually the benevolent interpretation of CBC's government funding if you decide to round down. It's not, at least insofar as I can tell, a, a sex joke from Elon Musk. Now, if it was like 420%, I would assume it was Elon Elon making a uh, drug joke. He does love the 420 thing. But uh, the thing that I find fascinating about all of this is that no one can dispute the facts. No one can dispute the facts. Now, CBC tries to muddle this a little bit. Tristan Hopper, who is a writer with the National Post, he found this gem that was a couple of years old from one of CBC's annual reports. And this is a graph that CBC itself published. And I, I, I don't normally do data viz stuff here, but I, I want to actually break this down a little bit. And I'm going to uh, ask you to look at it very closely. So if you see the fuchsia or the purple, whatever you want to call it there, that is the government funding that CBC gets. So that's actually an important figure there. The government funding CBC gets is that uh, pinkish fuchsia hue, 1.213.7 million. So 1.2 billion. Now, the blue is revenue revenue that is not from government funding. And that blue is broken down into three categories there, financing and other income, subscriber fees and advertising. And then advertising broken down into two categories, digital and television. But, but we only need to look at the bar on the left right now. So they say 2018 to 2019, 
$1.2 billion is government funding. Now, I want you to look at the y-axis. Now, the y-axis, for those of you like me who are not good at math, is the vertical one on the left-hand side. And I want you to count up with me, and you can even point to it with your finger as we do this. It's a fun little math game. Zero, 100 million, 200 million, 300 million, 400 million, 500 million, 600 million, 700 million, 1.7 billion. <laughs> okay. They've cut out the two little, uh, the, they've cut out and they've replaced it with tildes there. $1 billion on that graph, which actually distorts quite significantly the amount of government funding that CBC is getting. There was uh, another gentleman on Twitter who uh, pointed out what the graph should actually have been. And I don't know if I gave Sean that graph, but like it just shoots off the top if you're being honest about the numbers and not just eliminating $1 billion from the visualization, which reveals how much government funding CBC actually gets. And and interestingly enough, Sean just pointed this out, that if you look at their advertising revenue, you're likely to find in that a lot of money that's government advertising. So a, a government subsidy through another means there. But CBC tries to hide the fact that it is bankrolled entirely by the state. So how can they take issue with the assertion that they are government-funded media. Just take a look at your bank account if you don't believe that you're government-funded media. Now, uh, the political dimension of this is that Pierre Polyev, uh, what was it, last week, had sent the letter to Twitter saying, hey, you've been putting this label on BBC and NPR, maybe you should apply it to CBC as well. And when Pierre Polyev saw Elon Musk do this, he was nonetheless quite delighted about it. Justin Trudeau then does the one thing that the uh, liberals love doing, which is either blaming Stephen Harper or blaming American billionaires. Take a look. I think it says a lot about the Conservative Party of Canada that they're choosing to constantly attack independent media organizations, journalists who are working hard to keep Canadians informed and support our democracies. CBC Radio-Canada uh, serves right across the country, delivers local news and local content in many regions of the country that, yes, has been challenged over the past years, but the idea of adding to that challenges and laying on by attacking this Canadian institution, attacking the culture and local content that is so important to so many Canadians, uh, really indicates uh, the values and the approach that Mr. Polyev is putting forward. And I think it is telling that in order to attack this institution that is important for many, many Canadians. He runs to American billionaires, the tech giants that they continue to defend in committee and in their, uh, in their approach on our legislation to make tech giants pay their fair share. Conservatives are always there to defend them. So when they're trying to attack a foundational Canadian institution, the fact that he has to run to American billionaires for support to attack Canadians says a lot about Mr. Polyev and his values. 
I just love that. So it all becomes about American billionaires cozying up with American billionaires to attack the beloved cultural institution that is CBC. I mean, you take Hockey Night in Canada out of the equation, which the market did several years ago, I'm told. And what's left? I mean, Schitt's Creek is, for all, by all accounts, quite a, a good show that people enjoy. And it's a show that has a great cast and has won many awards and has received accolades outside of Canada. There's no reason that CBC had to be the delivery system for Schitt's Creek. There is no reason that CBC had to be the one to fund that, especially when any production company making Canadian content now can get scads and scads of money, scores of money, scads and scores of money, you might say, from the government through grants to produce Canadian content anyway. So why does CBC need to be the thing? Now, a lot of people take issue with CBC's bias. I mean, that's the line of attack that Pierre Polyev takes, that this is just a liberal propaganda operation. I don't actually care about CBC's bias. I don't care about its editorial bent. I don't care about the quality of its programming. I care about the government funding. You force CBC to do what it's doing in the private sector with private market forces. And sure, I may criticize what they're doing, uh, just in the sense that I would be a, a critic of other media outlets if I think they deserve it. But I don't care because I'm not bankrolling it. Uh, some idiot on Twitter, I shouldn't say he was an idiot. He, he could have just been a, a garden variety moron. Uh, but some idiot and or moron on Twitter the other day was uh, responding to my tweets about the CBC business. And he was saying that I am trying to silence media voices. And I no, I'm not actually trying to silence media voices. I am uh, trying to silence the voices that say government. Actually, I'm not silencing them. I'm, I'm trying to cut off the flow of cash, of taxpayer money to these outlets. If CBC has a market and is such a beloved institution, like Justin Trudeau says, then Canadians will pay for it. Why are they so threatened by something they believe is a thing to be proud of? That it's it's a government institution, it's a public property. Why is this something that is so triggering to them? It's because they know that if Canadians are aware of how much they're paying for this thing that isn't meaningful to them, they will be upset about it. And there's a reason that Pierre Polyev gets standing ovations when he walks into a room and says, defund the CBC. And he talks about turning the CBC's lavish front, suite, uh, front street headquarters in Toronto into government housing. I, I was chatting after a, an interview I did with uh, Pierre Polyev once, and I, I think it was during the leadership race. And I just, because we had talked about the CBC funding and I just mentioned to him as we were walking out of the room that it was astonishing just to see how much people on his campaign really resonated with that message. And he had looked to me and I don't think he'd care about me sharing this, even though we weren't technically on the record, but he looked at me and he said, you know, Andrew, part of me thinks I could just do my entire campaign about that one thing. <laughs> and he's probably not wrong, even though he was joking, that if he were to just walk into the room and say, ladies and gentlemen, defund the CBC. Thank you very much. I'm Pierre Polyev vote for me, the conservative base would be quite pleased with it. So uh, also interesting, incidentally, that he talks about cozying up with wealthy Americans when we find out this week that Justin Trudeau was cozying up on his Jamaican holiday with a giant donor to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. Now, I don't know if Peter Green is a billionaire, I don't know if Peter Green is American. I don't think he is, but he is a giant donor to the Trudeau Foundation and was palling it up at a luxurious Jamaican estate 
with Justin Trudeau. And in this case, he apparently cleared it with the ethics commissioner. So it's uh, quite all right. But uh, Justin Trudeau cannot seem to stop vacationing with his wealthy friends in the Caribbean. Now, this is not a lifestyle that you or I have, but it's one that seems to work for Justin Trudeau. But he dares to talk about Pierre Polyev writing a letter to Elon Musk. My goodness. I want to talk about uh, something else entirely here, which oddly I didn't see covered by CBC, and that is the Al Kuds Day protest that took place in Toronto on the weekend. Now, I'll, I'll explain Al Kuds Day in a couple of minutes, but I, I sometimes feel that the footage itself can describe what this annual thing is. I'm going to play one clip for you here. This is uh, one of the chants that is one of the most common anti-Israel chants you'll ever hear. It is, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Take a look. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea, now, that is just one of the chants. And if you look at a map, and I, I don't want to just totally go into teacher mode here because I, I'm not a teacher. That would actually be worse for kids than drag story times. But if you look at a map of Israel and you see where the West Bank is, which is the, the territory proclaimed for Palestinians, and you kind of draw a line from the Jordan River to the sea, you'll notice that it goes through Israel. So if you extend Palestine, as they call it, from the river to the sea, there is no Israel. Now, this is a design, and this is a feature, not a bug, of the belief system of many of these people. And I also want to point out this other chant that we saw from them at the same rally. From the belly of the beast, no justice, no peace. Brick by brick, wall by wall. So just in case you thought from the river to the sea was a little too subtle, we'll go with uh, this one, two, three, four, occupation no more, five, six, seven, eight, Israel is a terror state, uh, brick by brick, wall by wall, Israel has got to fall, throw subtlety out the window there entirely. And this is all very explicit, very anti-Israel. And before you jump on and say, oh, but criticism of Israel isn't always anti-Semitism, I would implore you to go around and ask those people what you think about Jew, what they think about Jews. Go up to them and ask them what they think about Jews. And I, I bet that distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is going to be a lot less 
pr pronounced than you think it is. Uh, those clips that I just shared were from uh, Beth Basha, an independent photographer who has done what no one else that I've seen in Canadian media has done, which is cover this uh, thing that can be readily described as a hate fest. Sue Ann Levy, my colleague at True North, has covered it uh, a number of times in years past herself and joins me now. Sue Ann, this is the same old rhetoric year after year. Nothing new and nothing anomalous about this, is it? Not at all. And I, in fact, I guess you might say I embedded myself in the protest for several years. The last one I, I covered was in 2019 because then COVID hit, of course. And don't don't uh, fool yourself because they did ho hold a online virtual hate fest in 2020. But having said that, I was right there in the midst of things and they actually singled me out as being there. The Jewess, God forbid she be there. Um, and there were some really awful people there. The thing that got me was that they, they bust in, they bust in like hordes of people from north of Toronto. They're all in the GTA. And they had like little girls, little girls dressed in niqabs standing there holding professionally made signs with uh, Israel has blood on its hands, like really awful pictures of dead babies, things like that. What are you teaching your kids? These kids were no more than eight, nine, ten years old. Terrible. And I saw one sign that Beth had tweeted a picture of, and the person who had it was like proudly posing with it that had a Star of David and then equals a swastika. Uh, so we're calling uh, Jews Nazis, we're calling Israelis Nazis, no matter which way you slice it. Uh, and none of the outrage when people said Justin Trudeau was a Nazi at the Freedom Convoy, a comparison, by the way, that I deplore, uh, but one that was widely condemned in one case and completely ignored in this other case. There's a tremendous double standard, Andrew, as we probably well know from a number of things. Um, I followed it for years and uh, played a sort of journalist investigative, in some ways activist role, to try and bring attention to this hateful group of people on the streets of Toronto. And, you know, the, the thing that just struck me um, when I saw it again, yet again, and I have a column in on True, online on True North, was mm. that the council and the mayor at the time had the tools to get rid of these people. They were marching illegally. And uh, Queen's Park had already said, get off our grass because they had occupied Queen's Park for a while. The speaker had spoken up and said, uh, we don't want you here. So then they gravitated down University Avenue, the main thoroughfare in Toronto, um, to in front of Osgoode Hall and City Hall and were occupying that square illegally. Nobody at City Hall had the balls or the gumption to actually find them and get rid of them. And there was a lot of hand-wringing. There were motions made that they should be fined for trespassing. The police were supposed to act and, and, you know, charge them if they were spewing hate. But none of that ever happened in 2019. And I have to say it's very, very frustrating. Now, I perhaps take a, a bit of a different view from you on, on that issue alone. And I, I don't deny the, the pervasiveness and insidiousness of anti-Semitism. My, my friend Laura Rosen-Cohen has often said that everyone meets at Jew-hate junction, is that, you know, anti-Semitism seems to be the point for extremists of, of any direction. They all can meet there and be friends there. Um, and, and I don't want to diminish that. I, I take a very, very broad view of free speech. So I say, let these uh, hateful bigots protest, let the anti-Semites protest, and, and call them out 
out for what it is. Now, I, I do take your point, though, about the permitting. I mean, if we're going to have this permitting pr protocol in place that is meant to limit how protests can be, what they can be, I don't think the equivalent of an anti-Islamism event would get a permit, but I think they would be shut down very quickly if they tried to do this. Well, that's the point, and that's exactly the point. And I agree with you about free speech, but not hate speech. And this crosses the line into hate speech. The other thing is that you're right. The double standard is such that if I decided to march down the street and say I hate niqabed, uh, donned uh, young ladies who carry signs with pictures of dead Palestinians, bloody dead Palestinians, I hate them, and you know that kind of thing. And I wanted to start a protest. They would never ever give me a permit. They would never ever give me police protection. And they had police protection. They had a permit. They occupied University Avenue and some of the other main streets for hours on end. Uh, the same thing happened that year at Young and, and uh, Young and Bloor, which is a major thoroughfare. They shut down that thoroughfare for three hours. Set up a stage unpermitted, allowed to do it, huge police presence, and nobody ever said anything. And it was an anti-Israel protest. So, you know, the problem is that if you set that precedent and you don't stand up to the hate and you don't deal with the tools you've got, then it just gets uh, enforced and emboldened and enabled, and it continues like it did last Saturday. So I'm I'm curious in your years of covering this where the politicians are on this. Uh, that let's be real, we'd be looking at the NDP. The NDP has a, a large mm -hmm. anti-Israel streak in a lot of its MPPs. Is this too extreme for even them, or do some of them actually align historically with this and show up there? They don't dare show up there. They haven't dared at least in my time, dared show up there. But their silence is very telling. And, uh, you know, for instance, you heard all the, the fur, the Sturm und Drang, as we want to say, about protests at Drag Queen Story Hours. The NDP have made people who appear there who are concerned about the age appropriateness of that, uh, turned them into transphobics, hateful people, this, that, and the other thing. Not a word is said, and the silence speaks volumes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then there are those who, like certain mayoralty candidates, have come out and said, this hate fest uh, should not be allowed in the streets of downtown Toronto. Yet they sat on their hands over the years they were on council doing nothing. So talk is cheap. They, they say, some of them say the right thing, some say nothing, and nothing ever changes. Yeah, I, I actually want to talk about that NDP uh, protest ban for a moment, because you and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on, on Fake News Friday. The uh, NDP and one of its uh, members of the provincial parliament, Kristen Wong-Tam, has proposed legislation, which won't pass with a, a PC majority, I think. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't know with, with Doug Ford, uh, but uh, they've proposed this ban on protesting drag shows. That's a, essentially what the ban is. They couch it in language about keeping the two USLGBTQI plus community safe act. That's what they call it, but it prohibits people from performing an act of intimidation, which they call a protest within a hundred meters of a property that's designated as a community safety zone for this particular group. And when they were pushing this forward, they were talking about uh, the importance of protecting against hate. And they were talking about transphobic hate and homophobic hate and all of that. If you look at the Statistics Canada reported hate offenses, hate-related offenses. Anti-Semitism is, I believe, every year for which data is available, the top 
one on the list, the top form of hate. It is indeed. And the B'nai B'rith has uh, statistics every year that shows not only is it the top form, but it has increased. And it's coming from the far left and the far right. Not just the far mm-hmm. right, as our leftist friends would have us believe, but from the far left, the fringe left. Um, Kristen Wong Tam is an interesting character. So she was on city council for a number of years. And I mean, voters' memories are short, uh, activists' memories are short, but she was the one who was responsible for the rise of a group called Queers Against Israeli Apartheid, who marched in the gay pride parade for five years, uh, doing the exact same thing as the Al-Quds people with very hateful signs, very hateful banners. And I fought as a journalist and, you know, part-time activist, but pro-Israel and made it very clear uh, to get them out of the parade. They finally did get out of the parade, but again, she she allowed that to happen. She actually helped nurture that group uh, in a gay pride parade where Israel is the only place in the Middle East that uh, welcomes homosexuality and gay marriage and all that jazz. Yeah, and Bernie Farber, who I know you and I could do a whole show on. I think we have actually done a whole show on Bernie Farber, but he's right. the uh, the guy behind the, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, which receives a whole bunch of government funding to tell mm-hmm. us that we're all racist. So Bernie Farber, who his job is to call out hate, and he calls out hate where it doesn't exist. He occasionally calls it out where it does exist. I just did a search on his Twitter for the words Al-Quds, and I tried both spellings, Al-Quds and Al-Space-Quds. And I found two references going back to 2012, one in 2018 and one in 2012. Uh, So here we have, you know, bona fide anti-Jewish, anti-Israel hate. And the Canadian Anti-Hate Network is uh, nowhere to be found. Well, that shouldn't be surprising to you, should it, Andrew? I mean, Bernie Farber has deviated so much from, you know, he, he actually was once uh, head of the Canadian Jewish Congress and fought against anti-Semitism. Well, yeah, but, the CJC wouldn't have stood for this. And I think actually no. the one tweet from 2012 was when he was with the CJC. And I, yeah. now that he's no longer there, there's no firm stand on this. Yeah. Well, he, he gets his grants from the Trudeau government. His anti-hate network thrives uh, from, you know, the Trudeau... He's propped up by the Trudeau liberals and, uh, you know, they turn a blind eye to this kind of anti-Semitism. Okay, they make a few uh, token comments like the counselors did. They uh, they pay lip service to it, but, you know, otherwise they don't act on it at all. I mean, there's not the and I have to blame the legacy media as well, because all those years that I was covering Al-Quds, as with many things in Toronto, uh, I would show up to this event as, you know, proud Jew wearing my Jewish star and cover the event and be attacked. And you would never see the legacy media there. Never. No, there was the, and, and I don't even think with Al Quds, because as I mentioned when I was playing those clips earlier, they, they completely throw subtlety out the window. And, and the media, no one is supporting this in, in mainstream media, maybe a couple of radicals, but, but they look the other way because it goes against their narrative. You know, we've decided to elevate Muslims and, and the Palestinian cause uh, to a certain level where it is above criticism, it is above reproach. And I, I want to show one more, and, and this one should actually uh, be outrageous to people. This is a, a post or a flag that was visible at the Al-Quds Day event. And again, we uh, give credit to Beth Bache for this one, but let's put that up on the screen. 
We're just waiting for that. There we go. So I want you to look at that yellow flag with the green on it. And if you don't recognize it, that is the flag of Hezbollah, which is funded. It is literally in Canadian law, a terrorist organization. So that is in the eyes of the law, no different than waving an ISIS flag on the streets of Canada. And this is, again, a kind of thing that I, I'm not even talking about arresting them because I, I do not like thought crimes. I do not like policing expression. But at the very least, let's have an honest discussion about the kind of thing that is welcome there. When someone brought a swastika or a Confederate flag to the Freedom Convoy, they were denounced by everyone around them. And it's not clear exactly what the motivation was behind it. Someone holds a Hezbollah flag there. No one around has any issue. The interesting thing, Andrew, the interesting thing was that when I remember when the convoy came to Toronto and there were a lot of, uh, well, I call them leftist Jews because they're not really concerned about anti-Semitism. They say they are, but they just use it to attack the far right, the conservatives. Mm -hmm. But uh, they talked about all these, the appearance of this Nazi person and that Nazi person. You never hear a word from them when it comes to Al-Quds, which is far more hateful, far more heinous. Uh, you know, and, and far more dangerous. Uh, I might add, uh, because this is just a sort of piece of nuance that people would not would understand if you told them, they always hold this event on the Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath. So a lot of the, well, they call the Jewish lobby, it's not the Jewish lobby, it's Jewish um, activist groups, or, you know, the, the traditional groups, they can't attend, because uh, it is the Jewish Sabbath, and if they keep Sabbath, they're not there. And this would happen repeatedly and repeatedly. So they would take footage, but they wouldn't be there to provide a presence at all. And I think mm. that's done deliberately. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. And it's, it's just thumbing their nose in uh, mm. the faces of, of everyone else as a result of it. And, and again, if you parse that flag, I mean, the flag, and, and again, it's not one that you see often. So you might look at it and think, oh, that's probably the flag of, of some mm. country somewhere. Uh, but it is actually uh, the word Allah and a hand reaching up to grab an assault rifle. So this is not like, you know, a, an mm. olive branch and uh, you know, cedar tree and peace and love and all of that. This is literally a militant organization's flag, an organization mm -hmm. that is a terror group in Canada. And it, I'm, I'm not even talking about the censorship, free speech, uh, hate speech angle. I'm just talking about the type of thing that is nowhere to be found but at True North and on Beth Bache's Twitter feed. So, Sue Ann, I'm glad you were uh, covering this and writing about this as always, but uh, just absolutely shameful that this level of uh, hate gets a pass. So thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome, Andrew. All right. Uh, that does it for us for today. we got lots of great stuff planned for tomorrow. Uh, I say that because I'll just come up with some great stuff. But I think, you know, no, no, we do have some. We do have some great stuff planned already. It's half great so far. We've just got to stretch it out to full greatness. Uh, if you want to support the work we're doing here on this show and at True North, please head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news. It is my wife's birthday tonight, so I have to take off that hat and put on a very different hat tonight. And uh, hopefully, will live up to expectations, which is uh, very easy for me because expectations are typically quite low. But uh, we will uh, hopefully have a great evening and I'll be back to see you tomorrow, everyone. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.